Hello, and welcome to the Coach Conversations podcast, the podcast where coaches have conversations about all things coaching. I'm Brendan Laleve, and today I'm joined by Ro Sandberg. Welcome, Ro. Hi, Brendan. How are you? Well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. There's an amazing um, storm outside my window, so I'm watching the rainfall. Magnificent. It's uh, just, just come over raining here as well, so enjoy that good for the ducks right people complain about the rain they say oh that drought that we were in was um so enjoyable wasn't it so the rain's good yeah totally uh what's been happening with you recently well i've moved um to canberra so i've i've recently upended life and and made a bit of a shift same country still but um it's been it was fascinating watching myself go through the process of what parts of my life to bring and what parts of my life to leave. So, um, yeah, fresh new beginning for me as the new year starts. Mm. What did you, how did you make that decision? What do you bring? What do you leave? What was the guiding principle there? I actually, well, during COVID, actually, I've been working with um, living quite simply. I lived in the country for a lot of the time during COVID and, um, I found that I needed very little. So I sort of got in the car. The first trip up here, I got in the car with my handbag, my laptop, and um, most people would say a lot of clothes. And that was pretty well what I needed. And then this last time when I went back, I brought back lots of books and um, things that will support me to start doing some writing this year. But but largely I've left a lot behind. So um, And that feels really liberating. Not missing anything yet? Well, not yet, but I've stopped writing lists of the little things I should pick up yeah. when yeah. I go back here. Yeah. We moved nearly 12 months ago now and there's just some things we've been needing to do uh, and I've obviously had a bit of time recently to, to take care of those things, which has been nice and it's been really fulfilling actually to to get those things and simple things like move a garden shed or build a garden bed or you know paint a hallway and it's just oh, isn't that nice that that's done yeah yeah mm. well i'm living for an, in an apartment for the first time but i'm on the 11th floor and so i've developed this incredible relationship with the clouds like i'm, I'm i feel eye to eye with the clouds and I was speaking to somebody about it this morning. It's like a lot of the day-to-day, you know, the traffic at the intersection below, it's all, I've got a real sense of separation and detachment and space from it. And um, also here in Canberra, I've got really long-distance views into the mountains and a lake below me. So I'm relating more to the physical world and less to the um, minutiae of the day-to-day. So... It, it creates an interesting um, psychological space. So I'm, I'm planning to make the most of it. And how's that showing up for you at the moment? Well, it might be a part of, of the time of year we're in January too, but I'm certainly like in a much more strategic space and I think I'm getting ready to do more writing this year and just you know, feeling what's important and, and what space do I want to write from, but what do I think are the really key messages for for now? Mm. Mm. And what's the format you'll be writing in? Oh, I think it'll be a book. 
-hmm. I think it, it'll be a book. And um, there's always a couple of books. This is my dilemma. So I need to ground, ground the first piece. But I think that um, in the first instance, I'll be um, really writing about the process oriented coaching methodology, the bones of that, so we can we can make that more accessible and it will replace the guide um, that and the text that the students have. Um, but then longer term, I really am interested in writing a piece about leadership and um, the times we find ourselves in at the moment. And, and what's really striking me is, um, you know, this notion of compassion. How do we have compassion for ourselves and compassion for people in leadership roles? So um, there's two pieces. There's two pieces there. One is more known and the other, I think, is going to take me on much more of a journey of discovery. So I'm probably more frightened of it. And that's why I want to do the simple one first. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Compassion for self and compassion for others. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And which is the one that you're more frightened of? That's an interesting question because I meant I was frightened of writing the, the, the bigger book, the, the less explored territory, but I have to remind myself to have compassion for self. Mm. You know, it's a constant, it's a constant dialogue and I think I'm noticing at the moment that when I hear myself or, or see myself bring compassion to self, it feels so sweet and it feels so needed. And I think that's partly where the notion of writing the, the book about this has, has come from. And just how do we hold ourselves in these incredible times we're living in at the moment? What about, what about you? If we think about compassion for self and compassion for others. Yeah, I mean, it shows up in so many, so many different ways. And, you know, one that is small example, you know, we've, I've got young, young children and, and doing a lot of work online and, and other people have cats, dogs, pets, you know, whatever, come and visit and, and show a lot of compassion to them. And, and in fact, it, it sort of helps, I think, at times around, well, what is, you know, who are they? What are they? How long have you had them? You know, how old are they if they're kids, et cetera? Um, and yet when my boys show up, sometimes the inner monologue is not as friendly and, and it's, well, you know, that's not professional and you should be, you know, managing that differently and there's all this self and role and what have you, so it gets all overlapped and, and, and yet, you know, they're, they're two of the things that I'm most, most proud of achieving in my life as well. I should want to show them off and I do want to show them off. It's just around, you know, when and where and how. And people are always very forgiving when they do show up. In fact, they want to say hello and you know, talk to them. Yeah, and, and there's this sense that, that it's a disruption or, or a disturbance, but in fact they might be the very thing that's needed, that quality of, of innocence, that quality of curiosity or even the neediness of kids, right? You know, so like what when the kids show up, what is it that they're bringing in? And just their curiosity as well around what is happening and 
who are you talking to and how does it work? I think it's it's been kind of nice as well as a dad in particular for them to be able to see a little bit more of what I do as opposed to me going into another building and not being at home for eight hours or whatever and then returning to the house and them not really having that ability to comprehend or like they know I go to work but what what really is work and and what am I doing and so it's been kind of nice to be able to introduce them to that a little bit and to be around a little bit more and you know see what's happening with them or or you know, drop them off at school or pick them up from school or, you know, and, and do more of that dad stuff that I'm super passionate about being able to do. It's it, That's part of it's actually been a little bit easier um, through the, the virtual work because I'm not trying to jump in a car and scoot across town to get to something and get set up. Everything is just set up or I can set it up earlier, go and do the family stuff and then come back and I'm I'm good to go. So I've, I've enjoyed that, that part of it as well. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'm thinking about that quality that they bring that you're talking about. You were saying, you know, what are you doing? How does it work? What is that? And, and you know, if I pick that up as something, you know, I said earlier, sometimes what they bring in is what we need. It's like I think as a society we're in a space now where like a lot of how stuff worked in the past isn't how it's going to work moving forward so those questions you know really learning from them about well how is that and what's going on and how does it work it's it's how do we pick up that more childlike mind that's allowed to not know yeah and and I think that takes compassion for self you know or I find that within myself yeah there you go looking forward to the book and and also the the smaller pieces of, of writing that are coming along as well. It's, it's something that, interestingly, um, my wife and I went away for the weekend and had some quiet time. So I, I got a notepad out and sort of thought, if I if I was to write, what would it be that I would want to cover off? What would be the the key topics? And it, it came from uh, I got given Dave Grohl's book the Nirvana drummer, Foo Fighters musician. And and I, I read through that and it was I found it really interesting because it was not written chronologically to begin with, which normally biographies are, you know, born here, went to school here, did this, did that. And the inside of the cover had what I'm assuming was his sort of scribble pad about what to write and what order to write in and how it was all going to link, which I thought was quite interesting. So I was like, I wonder if, if I replicated that, noting that, you know, he's, he's done different things to me, obviously. Uh, what would be the things I would cover off? And it, it stems from the fact that last month was five years since I left my permanent public service position mm-hmm. uh, role. And it feels like that time has absolutely flown, but it was a chance, oh, what have I done over those five years? I've made some pretty big changes. I've stopped doing some things. I've started doing others what was sort of my mindset, what was I thinking, what was I hoping to achieve, uh, what have I achieved, and reflect on that as well over those five years. And so I have now this, like, scribble pad of sort of thought prompters and things, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. What next? I don't know, but I've got that far. 
it's sort of like you would know as a coach that, you know, when the client says, if I was to write a book, and you go, ha-ha. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Mm. So you mentioned process-oriented uh, coaching. What What is that, if you expand on that a little bit? Well, process-oriented coaching, um, it's based in in-depth psychology and process work grew out of um, Jungian psychology. Its founder, Arnie Mindel, was um, a Jungian psychotherapist. He actually studied with Murray von Franz, the, the um, preeminent dream analyst in, in um, the Jungian world. And Arnie was teaching over in Zurich at the Jung Institute. And he kept asking, well, if our dreams hold the key to our unconscious, what about your body symptoms? And then years later went on to ask, what about social conflicts that we have? So it's really interested in, as Jungian psychotherapy is, what gets marginalised? What are the things that we push to the side and don't deal with? Or, you know, in organisational settings, what are, the, what are the undiscussables? And how do those things, like our vulnerability, like our kids coming into the, into the room, what do those things hold that's actually really vital to our own wholeness, but really often um, what looks like the problem holds within it the seeds of the solution? So it's looking at how we become more whole as individuals and systems and what we think of as me and what we think of as not me or not us and how we start to integrate more of um those things we push away or we react to or often deeply admire in other people. Um, so it's, it's always hard to describe what process-oriented coaching is, but that's part of what lies at the heart mm. of it. Yeah, and when we were talking about writing there earlier, I nearly said, but I'm not a writer, but I just... I'm yeah. working on that mindset, right? Yeah, I'd like to write a book, but I'm not a good writer, so I probably won't. It's like... Mm. So, so there it is. You've got the, the me and the not me. You know, I'm not a good writer. Whereas a process-oriented coach would hear that sentence and go, "Let's that, that the growth or, or what our, our model of coaching is called the eMERGE model. So what's emerging in you, Brendan, is potentially the writer. Mm. So rather than falling for the narrative or the content, we're interested in what that points to. Yeah. Yeah. So that's been a small change within myself over a period of time. I no longer say I'm not a writer, I just think it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, over time I will change that as well and write something. Well, uh, today is the first time I've spoken publicly about writing this year. So for me it was like going over an edge what we call the, the edge, you know, so now I'm out there, I've said it in the public space, it becomes a little more real. Hmm. And how does the dreams play out? Have you got an example of how what we dream about might be either showing up or not showing up? I really liked the undiscussables. I'm going to borrow that. Yeah. But how does that dreaming, you know, what we dream about, how does that show up in the yeah. real world or manifest in the real world? So if I first talk about dreaming for coaches, like we need to learn to, to think and listen symbolically to what our clients are telling us. They're talking to us about literal 
real world problems and that's true but very often you don't get your breakthrough at that level of the 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 transactional literal real world self we're according to cognitive and mindset and we're not drawing on our whole wisdom but the minute the coach starts to get a bit more dreamlike starts to think metaphorically um and supports the client to move into that then you get a lot of shift so so that's the let, let's call that the small day dream but um but nighttime dreams are really amazing too and Jung Jung spoke about your childhood dream you know that dream you had again and again often it was a nightmare and Jung said that that dream often holds the key to your um to your life and that you might you spend your whole life resolving the elements of the childhood dream and so I've worked with um, CEOs on their childhood dreams and they've, they've got really powerful insights into um, how they move I remember one CEO who dreamt that there was a bridge that was collapsing behind him and he had to run to keep ahead of it and what he actually did was he built global businesses and he was always on the move and he had this drive he was driven but it was actually incredibly effective. But, um, but I was talking last night to my partner about his childhood dream. And um, it was, it, it's the coolest dream. In that dream, there's a child's tricycle and it can move on sand in two ways. It's got wheels that, that wobble and when it wobbles, the tricycle goes straight. But when the wheels go straight, it wobbles. So he said, this dream just freaked me out, all right. It was completely illogical. Everything was all wrong. And, and I said to him, well, so how does that relate, do you think, to the way you move through life, like tricycle moving, right? And he, he's an artist and he says, any time I've ever had major success, it's been when I've been messing around and not taking it seriously. So he's, a, um, he's an abstract expressionist and he thought for a lark he would do a portrait and he submitted it to the Archibald and he was one of the finalists in the Archibald Prize, all right? And, and there were numerous things like that that he can recount where when, he's, when the wheels have wobbled, when he's played, when he hasn't taken it so seriously, he's gone on an incredible trajectory in terms of his career, even though logically everything in his head tells him he needs to work differently. But also, you know, as a coach, we're interested in the integration of those two parts because there's also an incredible level of skill and, and, and technicianship behind what looks even in his abstract work, like quite loose work. His, his technical mastery is amazing. So by asking clients about their childhood dreams and looking at the different elements, often, um, you know, my partner in his life, he integrates that sort of mastery and focus and, and real precision and honing of the art with how do you loosen up enough that you play with that. And probably what's more secondary in his career is letting himself play. So... Um, 
dreams, dreams really can teach us a lot about how we move forward. And play, have some fun with it. And play. And don't leaders with all the responsibility that they've got right now need to learn to play and look at things from different angles. I mean, that's where innovation comes from. Yeah, yeah, not by being told to be innovative. Just be more innovative. Yeah, yeah, and here are the 10 steps to innovation. Yeah, and I want want that innovation on my desk by Friday afternoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how does play show up in your life? I think in, again, many ways, and it's something that I keep returning to as well as being important. I mean, podcast is an example of play. Let's just record some conversations that I know I enjoy, you know, get to chat with some people that I admire and respect and, and walk away learning something and hopefully, you know, others take something from that as well. But, you know, I've been where can I play? How how can I have fun? How can I enjoy what I'm doing? And, you know, you know relatively you know, worked hard to get there, but lucky position where I enjoy the vast majority of what it is that I get to do. And, and being okay with trying something and seeing how it lands. So one of the things I do besides coach is run workshops. And one of the things that I worked really hard on both online over the last sort of 18 months, two years, but face-to-face as well as to bring music into the room and play quite a lot of music. And some people don't even notice that it's on and other people notice it straight away. And I tend to theme the songs that I play with the activity that I'm doing or, or about to do. And some people clock that really quick and go, oh, that's, you know, I really enjoy that and they're sort of dancing away or singing away or and they, they may not even notice that they're doing it. And for other people, they're just like, oh, that's a bit noisy. Can you turn it down? So just need to be careful with how I do it. But I, I really enjoy trying to create that reaction within people and not have it be, uh, okay, here's the four walls, here's the flip chart and the whiteboard. Um, can we go around the circle and introduce yourselves? Like type activity is how do I use different activities and different things for it to be fun and to play, but for us to still achieve the, the desired outcome. And I think that you're getting state change. And I think what we really, really underestimate is the importance of state change. One of the, I think one of the most important things I do in executive coaching is to help leaders learn to change state. I mean, they have to be able to move from one meeting to another and drop where they were, drop whatever mood they were in and show up for, for the next game. So these things that, you know, at one level we coin it play or light, but it's actually a really, really important capability. Mm. And music's one way of doing that. Yeah. And the, the other way that just came to mind is um, using symbols. So I run a, like not um, crash symbols, but symbolic things. And so I run an uh, emerging leader program, which I really, really enjoy. And one of the things in the agenda that was you know presented was to define leadership and the way you know, I could do that is to, you know, drag out all the literature and say, you know, this is what it is or do a brainstorming exercise. There's many ways to do it. But 
I've, I've landed on asking the participants to bring along something, anything, doesn't need to be a photo or a picture of a leader, but something that represents leadership to them. And then to talk to the group around you know, why, what they've picked, and I don't really care what they pick as long as they can explain it, represents leadership to them. And, and they bring in these amazing things, you know, family heirlooms and you know, teapots or houseplants or toys. Uh, crossword books, this really broad range of stuff. And we move through that and they have a couple of minutes each. So it takes 45 minutes or what have you. And at the end of it, we've covered off all the things that I would have covered off if I'd stood there and spoken to them about leadership for probably twice the amount of time, right? And and they all have these little items and that they can reflect back on and think about. And it, it it's just such a nice way to do it to get them talking, to get them talking about what leadership is, to make it less abstract. Um, and, and it just lands, I think it just lands really nicely. And, and I think in coaching, I've started doing that as well. Like, oh, it's raining. What does that mean? Oh, the coffee's too hot. What does that mean? Oh, the sun's in your eyes. What does that mean? And, you know, questions that I would not have probably historically asked, but I'm now more confident in saying, I'm just playing. I'm just going to ask this question. And the insights are unreal. Because it's that whole body intelligence, you know. And, and again, like um, I love the fact that your kids came up really in the conversation because that's what kids do, right? They, they learn with their whole bodies. They experience with their whole bodies. They, they tell stories. They need stories. They, they make it up. And then somehow, you know, we got into this really narrow cognitive band that, just leads to burnout if people don't come into those bigger, more whole parts of themselves. You know, you see people whose spirits are really broken um, and they're not productive and they're not effective and they're not happy. Yeah, so um, it's more of it, I say. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I think so. So, so we think... We think we're deviating from the norm, but in fact, that stuff you're talking about is the most normal and natural thing we can do when we come together with people. Yeah. And, the, the, you know, the stories are great. The reflections are great. And I think the because it's not just cognitive, the results are better embedded or, the you know, they're stronger, they're clearer on what it is they need to do. They've got a physical reminder of whatever it might be and you know as a result the benefits are better but it, you know in the moment it, it's, it's a bit like the trike right the wheels are wobbling but we're actually we're making progress I, I like that analogy as opposed to oh let's just you know follow every step of the model directly um you know let's let's not draw that extra stuff in because it, it's a bit too much fun or it might be a bit fluffy or whatever the reasoning might be. And you end up making, making less progress. And, you know, that, that had shown up for me. It, two examples that I can share. There was a coaching session that I had just before I, I joined level one of, of your coach training where the counterpart was talking about making a decision in their workplace uh, relating to someone else that they were working with. And um, I, I found the edge without knowing what the edge was about the, 
you know, I, I want to be this and I'm not this. And I didn't really know what to do with it. And so we stayed fairly cognitive mm-hmm. and they came to a decision and they said, yep, that, that's definitely what I'm going to do. And then two weeks later we, we met again and it was like, I didn't do that at all. I did something else completely different. And, and I was a little disappointed about that fact because I thought I'd gotten them to a really good point. And then did the training, different counterpart, uh, virtual coaching session, first session, and they were talking about, oh, you know, here's my career trajectory as to where it's going. I'm going to be, a you know, um, insert reasonably high level rank in their organization here in the next five years. And I need to make the right move now to get there. And even though I'd sort of been, you know, been warned around getting people to jump straight into that state change stuff super early because it can go quite deep. I'm like, no, I think this is the right thing to do. So I'm going to ask. And I said to the counterpart, uh, would you be able to move around? Can I ask you to stand up? And they said, oh, you want me to stand up? I said, only if you're comfortable to do it. I think it will add value to stand somewhere that feels right for you in the direction that you're going. And and because it was virtual, they said to me, oh, but Brendan, I'm still wearing my pajama pants. And, and I sort of just went, look, I don't, I don't mind. That's It's fine, right? You know, it just is what it is. Welcome to working from home. If you're not comfortable moving, don't move. But I think there would be value. So they played along, which was great. They stood up. They took two steps from where they were sitting. And in about five minutes, they went, actually, I don't want any of that over there at all. I want to go this way. I don't want to be on that fast track to promotion. I don't want to be in that position. I don't even know why I was thinking that that's what I should be thinking about or doing. And so the conversation was flipped really quickly and subsequent conversations have been very, very different as a result, as opposed to this sort of cognitive, I've got to move through this. I've got to achieve that. I've got to get through that interview. I've got to you know, get good results here. And so I was, you know, it was interesting to see how quickly that that decision flipped, you know, after all that work in the first example to get to a point and nothing happened versus can you stand up and take two steps? What are you noticing from there? Oh, I don't want any of that. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of the fast track version of it. <laughs> yeah, and you, you saved the guy five years. And we do this more in level three, all right, but when you said to me, when you were recounting that story and you said, he said, I'm in my pyjama pants, I noticed that part of me internally went, the guy's doing a session on a fast track to executive promotion and he's wearing his pyjama pants. Something doesn't add up. So, like, even if we track these signals, even before you'd still go through, you know, in, uh, and do what you did, but even before that, there's this sort of uh-uh that, that the coach experiences that, like, some part of this story doesn't go with that. What's not congruent here? And then he does the exercise and you um, and, and you discover what it is. But I love that. You know, that is the play of coaching for me. It's like this stuff is so cool. The whole coaching conversation is so laden with cues from the emerging process about what it really wants. We've had similar things. You know, I've had people we've worked with or even people who've come into the program and throughout the program I know their trajectory is retirement. Might take two or three years to get there, and then in being coached through the program, more and more they're talking about their retirement. Mm. They come in as, as you know, people with 
you know, big professional identities and, and then this, this, this shift happens. So, um, yeah, the signals that don't go along with that ordinary everyday identity or, and I think this catches a lot of coaches, that doesn't go along with the stated goal. And how do you give yourself freedom at that moment to renegotiate and say, well, let me just check at the beginning we contracted around this, but um, I'm seeing a shift. And the client might be on an edge to renegotiate, but you've still seen some pretty solid signals there. Mm. Um, yeah. That sounded like it was a lot of fun. Oh, it was great fun, you know, and... Mm. You know, great fun, really effective, good client like counterpart outcome. Why why wouldn't you coach that way, Brendan? As opposed to it, you know, all being cognitive and what's the next question? And as I coached early on, you know, in my coaching career, there's no doubt about. And there was value in that. People got outcomes from that, but I think it's just it sped things up. Like you say, saved that that guy five years. Yeah. in that he can invest that that somewhere else now yeah and that that's really good for your coaching business like like you know executives are really busy people and if they can get a major breakthrough result like it's not always like that different people move at different paces but your ability to see those signals or work in those different ways gets really rapid result and, and that wins you a lot of respect in the um in the marketplace out there, I reckon. Yeah. Mm. Mm. And uh, in your MCC status, I'm intrigued about that. Congratulations. Uh, I think that's a, an unreal thing. It's a goal that I track towards in my coaching log, but, you know, there's a few years between where I am now and, and reaching that 2,500 hours of coaching um, mark. What what does it mean for you to hold that status? How has it helped? Like, what have you learned as a coach across those two and a half plus thousand hours? Yeah, well, it's it's probably getting up now to three and a half or, or, or four thousand. But I want to talk about the process of actually becoming an MCC because mm-hmm. it's like this mysterious thing where nobody knows what it means to become an MCC. And, you know, for many people, you know, they present seven or eight times and I was just lucky. And I actually put this down to the deep training with Arnie that, that like, I flipped it in the first time. But I had some great supervision. So um, I had some really good supervision that, that helped me um, learn lessons about partnering and see where my method gave me unconscious rank and how I needed to come back in and partner. But what I learned in being an MCC was the importance of presence. And so those that shift to, to coaching as an MCC became almost a shift to bliss of just being so with the client in the moment, so empty and with them that there was nothing else because at some point somebody must have told me that if, if they caught a whiff of your method, you weren't an MCC. So it's a little bit like, you know, I'd spent all of these years, you know, cultivating mastery in other disciplines, you know, being able to track micro signals like that, catching the pyjamas and catching the weather and, 
you know, remembering that phrase exactly. And then in the MCC, you just let it go. You know, if you see the Buddha up by the road, kill him to just be with another human being. Um, and that's that's delightful. Yeah. And how has your coaching changed as a result of that realisation? It's a real... I'm more relaxed, actually. We've been talking about play, right? I, I, it doesn't matter. Or when you know that all you have to do is be with someone. And, um, you know, you, you mentioned before when you're talking about bringing music in that some people will like it and some people won't. And as long as you follow the feedback in the system, you're fine. Like part of the, the feedback is I don't like that and... Who knows, perhaps it was that person's learning that day to say, could you please turn that down, you know, to speak to the person in, in, in power in the room. So when we start to also take that systemic perspective, you know, it's like we, we hold less to our individual identity and are more willing to be a conduit for whatever needs to happen. We've got less personal ego in it. Um, and then there are other times when the person says, well, I don't know if I can stand up. I've got my pyjamas on. And we've got a feeling that that's a moment to hold that and say, yeah, but I'd still like to invite you to stand up. If you want, I'll stand up with you. Or we might say, well, some people like music, mm. you know, because if other signals have said to us that that part of this person's growth might lie in loosening up a little bit. Mm. So, um, but, but following feedback is, you know, I've moved from MCC to presencing, but, but following feedback also is part of that being in the moment and sensing really deeply within yourself what's needed. Mm. It's always nice to get to see people that have got that level of, I'm going to use the experience word, though I know that I might get into trouble for talking about experienced coaches. Uh, as Liz pulled me up in her conversation I had with her, if you haven't heard that, go back and listen to it. I think it's a good point. And, and you know, it stemmed from actually when I was doing the training with you, we were in a breakout room and you joined us and you said, oh, Brendan, you're an experienced coach. Uh -huh. said, Thank you, Ro. And then you you left the room. And I said to the two people I was in the breakout room, uh, so you've just heard Ro say that I'm a reasonably experienced coach or I'm kind of an experienced coach. And I, and, and I caught myself in the moment I went, no, <laughs> she didn't say that. I just added that. I am an experienced coach. I'm just, you know, drawing that experience from other areas as well. And, and I like it when that gets brought to people's attention. You're just starting to apply coaching skill, but you've got a lot of experience in other ways. So let's let's not move on. Let's hold that <laughs> for a minute. I'm going to hold you in that experience space. What What is it that you value most at this point about your experience? Nice big pause. That means it's a good question. Um, what is it that I value most? I think that it, I'm getting better at picking up those little cues and been working on that. So I value the ability to 
to cut through using some of those things when I'm working with counterparts and help them get the result that they're after. And it, as a result, I'm more present and have a, a, a greater presence in those coaching conversations. Um, the other one is, is to be more relaxed. You know, early days, I used to be like, I've got to get this right. I've got to ask the right question. I don't want to get it wrong. And I don't want to, you know, damage what their goal is. And I want to be clean so that I don't pollute the conversation. And so I was very, very regimented. Mm. And through working with other coaches and partnering with them and doing some, you know, um, you know, I coach you, you coach me type experience with them. Uh, working with a really good supervisor uh, have started to undo some of that and go, no, I can be a bit more playful here. I can relax a little bit more because it's a conversation. It's not a script, right? There probably isn't a right question. They're better than others potentially. And I think that's what I see when I see MCC coaches, coaches, they're just really efficient in getting to those better questions. They have great presence. They notice little things and they contract a lot. Like I keep coming back to that contracting piece when I see MCC credentialed coaches coach. But in my experience, to answer your question, those are the things that I take away, you know, I, that I can be a little more playful. I don't have to be regimented. And that if I see something, I've seen it for a reason and I should call it out. And sometimes the person will say, no, I don't know how that links to our conversation at all. It's okay. We just go to the next thing. And, and, Sometimes then they come back to the next session and they go, oh, you mentioned that the coffee was too hot. And I said, oh, there was nothing to that. But I've been thinking about that, actually. <laughs> okay, okay. What have you been thinking about that? Yeah. Yeah, that's very cool. That's very cool. Hmm. I'm thinking about what you said about contracting. And I think that part of that, and I see it with students, you know, like teaching gives you a great perspective on the journey it's like you don't work too hard so something's part of when you recontract is you're getting mixed messages you're getting double signals so rather than sitting there trying to work out yourself what what way to go on this or what's going to be most helpful you just give the work back so um so the ability to give the work back and to not assume that it belongs with you is because you have that confidence mm. um, it's a chicken and egg thing but also the more you give the work back the easier it gets and the, and the less caught up you are in your own head um, yeah because mm. part, part of what we think about is is like the whole system all right so how is what I'm experiencing in the moment as a coach part of the client system? And um, is it really my, um, let's say you notice yourself being really critical. Is it, is it that you're doing badly or is it that there's something within the client's system that you're unconsciously or intuitively picking up on where there's an inner critic that's getting in the way here, but but they're pretty good at not showing it. So, you know, a rule of thumb that, that I find really helpful is to assume firstly that anything I'm experiencing when I'm in that session belongs to the client 
but I hold that lightly and also do my own work on myself at the same time. But my first assumption isn't that it's about me. Mm. And that really starts to free you up and is another way of accessing all those cues you've been talking about. Yeah. Mm. And you mentioned the Global Coaching Institute and creating other coaches or unlocking that coaching skill within others. What's it been like to establish that and create your own coaching training school? It's been amazing. I really love it. In fact, I see myself being pulled more and more away from my own consulting to, I guess it's something about stage of of life now and that, you know, I can have more impact by producing more coaches who, particularly coaches who have the process-oriented perspective but are able to work at that system level and are also able to tackle some of the big social issues like, like, race, the way we use power, um, some of the longer term, you know, the environmental issues. Um, so it's been, it's been phenomenal. And I just love the sense of community. And also the fact that it's a global coaching institute. You and I are both based in Australia, but um, prior to COVID, I was flying all around the world. And, and, and what I love about offering the virtual programs now is that we've got coaches here in Australia working with um, young women who are working with ISIS survivors in Iraq, working with race educators in the UK, working with, you know, heads of multinational corporations. So you get this incredibly diverse um, mix of what's going on and, and, and that's, that's just so juicy. And for me personally... Travel, studying overseas, doing a lot of postgraduate work over there really helped my work in Australia because I could see global patterns before they, they hit here and I had a bit of a heads up. And I'm seeing that that's what's also happening for our, our local students, that they're getting that, that bigger global angle on what's going on. So um, it gives us that ability to really work on the nub of the issues um, that are facing the world at the moment and and that's fabulous and it's challenging like at the moment you know I'm, I'm doing a lot of learning about what it means to create really inclusive spaces and to build awareness um, in a college when some people just come in to get their coaching skills right and suddenly we, we, we've got people wanting to you know really talk about race, importantly talk about race because the experience in the room in a, in a diverse um, cohort, it's, it's real. It's in the room and in the moment. So um, it's been incredibly rewarding and it keeps growing me constantly, which I love. Mm. Yeah, that worldwide perspective was definitely something that I took away just from level one as well. You know, we had yeah. people from, uh, from memory, uh, Australia, obviously, but Russia, um, Spain, you know, a couple other places through Europe uh, and uh, maybe, maybe America in our, I can't remember in our cohort, but yeah, it's just, you know, all, you know, similar, but different um, things to talk about or focus on and, it's like, oh, that's interesting. And, and even in the, 
um, the difference in assumptions and bias and what have you that we'd bring into our coaching then or uh, you sort of have to check in with people, you know, as someone who grew up in, you know, Russia or who speaks English as a second language or, you know, we'd throw some colloquialism Australian thing in and they'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, what is that? <laughs> I don't understand. It's like, all right, let me ask that a bit cleaner or explain that a bit better or because it impacts, it shows up. Yeah. And, and Brendan, I'm not sure of, of your the scope of your coaching practice, but as you start to build a global identity, I'm, I'm curious as to what difference that sort of makes for you, what you've noticed. Yeah, I think being more comfortable with, with asking, right? Right. And, and it's almost that contracting piece, but um, you know, what's important for you to get to establish trust or, or what would the norms be for you or um, how are you seeing that from your perspective uh, based on who you are and the demographics you occupy? Because, you know, we can only occupy the demographics that we occupy, right? But that doesn't give us an out, doesn't give us an excuse to not explore and not to see things differently and you know, gain that awareness of how people's experience is different. Um, and, and I think conversely, not to, to judge our own experience or to judge others based on the demographics that they occupy, because it doesn't, they don't lock you into a predetermined outcome or upbringing or childhood dream or mm. coaching approach or anything. Um, they just form one part of, of who we are. So, yeah, it's, it's an awareness piece. And um, because I think the trap, like, like you and I are both white coaches, right, in a primarily white profession, you know, there, there's still, we still haven't got great diversity within the profession. And um, Annie Mindell used to say that rank, and, and you know, if we, we think about um, the way that, that, that white people and, and people of colour have related over history or, or people, people with racialized identities, all right, um, it, it's just white people have had a lot of advantage. And, and Arnie Mindell says rank makes you blind. So it's only when I have to deal with some of the complexity where I'm more challenged of working globally that then I start to become more aware of the dynamics of rank in my own country. Because in my own country, I can still have this really Eurocentric view and, and other people are sort of on the margins. And, and that's the way rank dynamics work in, in society. But um, I find it keeps me on my toes more mm. because I'm challenged. And because I find myself in situations where um, I don't know how to do this well. And I think as a world, we're facing a lot of things around diversity and inclusion where, where we actually don't know how to do it well. And, and that's a really humbling thing. Yeah, but mm. Good place to explore, but and learn so much you know, as a result. Uh, did some coaching with, with people that... Uh, live in one of the Pacific islands and, and two hour coaching session was the expectation. And 
real I thought to myself, two hours, that's long. How am I gonna how am I gonna fill that? And then it was like it's not up to me to fill that. Like they've they've obviously chosen that structure for a reason. So let's just go in and ask. Let's let's see what needs to happen. And there was a lot of um sharing and relationship building and trust that needed to happen, you know, a lot of connecting as humans, and then the coaching could sort of play out. But it and that was what was shared with me. So I was like, oh, okay, I can go with that. That's that's but it was interesting that two hours, that's a long time. And it went really quickly and there was great insights and things that happened throughout that two hour conversation. But mm. I think if you said to you know senior leaders in, in in Australia, they'd go, two hours, I don't have two hours to give you. Like or what am I going to get out of that two hours? Which is just the difference around those those two things. Sure, it's so different and, and so good that we get woken up to the fact that our habits, you know, the things that we've fallen into aren't necessarily going to work for everyone. Yeah. So I'm, I'm doing a lot of work at the moment in um, Aborig Aboriginal leadership programs and I completely, you know, love it. And, and, and one of my hopes and dreams is we actually can build a greater community of Aboriginal coaches because I think there's, there's a huge demand for it out there. But um, I, just, I just love yarning, that, that different quality of like, you know, again, drop your method and just sit here and be with me and yarn and, and see what comes out of it. Well, before we finish up today, Ro, I thought we might try something different in the spirit of play. And so I've got, I think, seven questions here that I'm just would like to throw at you. Hopefully there's shortish answers that come back. We'll see how we're going uh, and we'll see where this lands, um, as I said, in the spirit of play. So the first question I have is what fulfills you? What fulfills me? Um, meditation. And what frustrates you? Oh, how, how slow we are to learn from our experience. Mm -hmm. And if you could recommend one book that everyone should read, what would that book be? Julie Diamond's Users Guide to Power. And what do you most admire in your counterparts? Uh, their capacity to keep showing up, their spirit. Yeah. Mm. What's your favourite coaching question? What else? If you weren't a coach, what would you be? A writer. And if you could tell your younger self anything, what would you say to yourself? That, that it, what's meant to be will happen. You can't not be you. I watched my 22-year-old daughter fretting about something a couple of years ago and I just burst out laughing and I said to her, sweetheart, at this age I can tell you it's impossible. You've got no hope of not being you in life. It just takes different paths. That's brilliant. Well, thank you for your time today, Ro, uh, and for answering those, those questions with me. And uh, really appreciate it. Lots of great insights and um, looking forward to sharing our conversation with others. Yeah, nice to hang out. Thanks, Brendan. Thanks, Ro.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Coach Conversations podcast. To find out when new conversations are available, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Please rate, review, share, and comment as it helps in more ways than you can imagine. And if you'd like to join me for a coach conversation, please email Brendan, B-R-E-N-D-O-N, at coachconversations.com.au. Thanks again for listening.